0: where people strive to conquer the digital landscape, the best leaders are moving forward and planting flags. This is the Oil & Gas Digital Doers podcast, where you can hear about the thrill of digital victory and the industry's best guidance on how to win with your host, Michael O'Sullivan. Hey
1: everybody, welcome to uh, one of the very first episodes of a brand new podcast that we're launching here at OGGN called Oil and Gas Digital Doers. I don't know if uh, I don't know if this one will be maybe the second or the third one that you hear, but it's in the first batch, and because uh, we are just getting this thing started, it is a brand new podcast. And uh, if you've been paying attention to OGGN, you know that we have several. New podcasts. In fact, uh, if you had tuned into our big here and now event a couple of weeks ago, where we were uh, we were celebrating a lot of things. We were well, we were celebrating a million downloads of the Oil and Gas This Week podcast, which is that's the big one. That's the one that started it all with Mark Lacour a few years ago. And uh, we were also celebrating um, our our fabulous sponsors who make all of this uh, make all of this stuff happen. And we were celebrating uh, rolling out a bunch of new. Uh, we've got we got several new live streams that we're launching. We got several new. Um, podcasts that are coming out. And so keep an eye on the Oil & Gas Global Network for all of that. Speaking of fabulous sponsors, this particular series is being sponsored by our friends at Topcoder. So if you're not familiar with Topcoder, you need to be. Um, also, if you're not familiar with a thing called Open Talent Models, you need to look into that and see what... Topcoder is kind of the original uh, pioneer in Open Talent Models, and it's it's something that can... If you're trying to get digital done, this is something that you need to understand. So have a look at topcoder.com, and we thank them for uh, paying the bills and keeping the lights on and all of that. I am sitting here today at um, one of our favorite places, the Fabulous Cannon on the west side of Houston. Uh, the sun is coming out in Houston today. Looks like we're going to have a nice day. And I'm here with, um, I'm here again with my friend George Danner, who uh, you, who, who was just on a, an episode of one of the other shows uh, uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, but, but i you're you're such a good friend that you're you're coming back again to help us get this uh get this new show launched so i i hope I promise not to to uh take advantage of that too much in the near future but you're always a great guest so thanks for being here
2: well thank you michael it's great yeah. to be back
1: right um it, I feel like we were just here uh, a couple of days ago just sitting up there in a different spot so uh f- so just a little intro just in case um uh you know people are not Familiar with you, I. You know, you're an author. You're a speaker. You're. Uh, uh, what did you say the other day? We were doing something. You said a, sim- a simple mathematician. I'm a simple mathematician. Uh, That's all I am. You're simple. You also. Um, you also have this future predicting thing that I love. Uh, what else? What else do you want to say about yourself before we get
2: started? <laughs> well, I just. I'm just a guy, who's trying to be a student of companies. So my whole career, which spans about 37 years, has been about deconstructing companies, taking companies and picking them apart, and then recreating them in a computer so that we can experiment with them. That's My whole career has been, to one extent or another, dedicated to the craft of looking at companies and how to make them better, faster, and cheaper.
1: That is... um I mean that doesn't even. I mean that just sounds like fun, really.
2: I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I it mean, is. you know, one day I'll be in a factory that makes baby diapers, and the next day I'll be in a another factory that makes semiconductors and chemicals, and then I'll go to a bank or an insurance company, even an NFL team. Uh, I mean, I've I've had uh, my experiences span lots and lots of different organizations, and uh, it's it's really great to have a front row seat on all those different businesses because what that does. Is that allows you to observe the commonalities across industries and their differences? It's it's the wonderful variety that I get to see. It's really a privilege to do what I do.
1: Yeah, no, that sounds um, that does sound sound fun. Uh, You know, there are so many commonalities across industries, and everybody, not everybody. People within a particular industry don't always appreciate that, right? I remember when I was, um, I spent a a large part of the early part of my career in consulting, you know, big IT systems consulting, things like that. And, And you go from being a, you know, sort of a lowly, you know, they call you senior consultant, but you're really like bottom of the totem pole right <laughs> and you're doing all the work <laughs> right, basically exactly and you go from that to sort of being responsible for projects and you know engagements and and you're and 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 then you get involved in 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 helping to sell you know to new proposals and engagements and everywhere you go um everywhere and and people didn't always you know well everywhere you go everybody thinks that whatever it is that they do is really special and different and even in like simple things like like i remember when automating um you know when you're you're trying to automate uh workflows for uh you know for capital projects and things like that and everybody and you know it was it's just it's it's one after another after another and everybody says well now the way we do it (laughs) It's really different.
2: Exactly. And, and we, yes. you and I, Michael, know industries that unfortunately have that uh, we're different, we're special yeah. kind of attitude. Yeah. And look, there, there are a lot of industries that, that do, in fact, have very special features of them that, that need to be respected. Absolutely. Right. But at right. the same time, I, I think you're right. It, it is easy to fall into that trap. Of thinking about one particular industry and how that's yeah. new and unique and special, and, I, and if if I can, I'll, I'll tell you a brief story I had that For really sure. brought yeah. this home. I was um, I was in in New Jersey uh, working with a pharmaceutical firm, and they were talking to me about their drug pipeline. And so when you when you think about a drug pipeline, there are hundreds of these compounds that flow through this pipeline. Some are at later FDA stages, some are at very early infancy kind of stages as compounds. And so you're trying to sort of move all these things down this development pipeline to, to get to the big money makers. Sure. And only a very small number of these drugs you know, make it to market and become you know, blockbuster drugs. And, and what they wanted to understand is, you know what, how do I measure risk? How do I measure the risk of some of these drugs in this pipeline. So I'm making smart decisions about what uh, money to put where, what what plays to bet on, essentially. I literally got on the plane that afternoon, flew back to Houston, and the next day I had a conversation with a major oil company. And they were talking about drilling wells, and they had to, you know, wells go through different stages. Do I put money into this well versus that?
1: Yeah, I was going to say there's something vaguely familiar about this uh, pharmaceutical story. Um, Unbelievable
2: contrast. So I I had uh, a unique position there in that in the span of 24 hours, I heard from two different industries, and the problems were very, very common. If I accidentally fell into that, then I got to believe that there are many, many other ties to other things.
1: Interesting, yeah. And, And being a simple mathematician you can probably look at those two things if you abstract those two things you're doing you're you're working out the same math in both cases right it's I, I think that's right not right. it's not it's not, uh, it's not a, an, an uh, not that different so um, so for our listeners who are wondering why we're we going down this path uh, <laughs> in this well one reason is because uh, I should confess that I I don't have my notes today because I because I left my iPad and so you didn't just,
2: have to tell everybody that Michael. I,
1: they're gonna they're gonna uh, they're gonna realize it soon <laughs> and uh, so um, so the so the, the the biggest thing is I have to remember all of my regular little things that I'm supposed to say at the beginning and the end and so hopefully I won't forget anything um, if you're a uh, if you're a regular listener of the tech show uh, which has been going for some time then then you already know what I say. So if I forget something, just pretend that I said it. And if you're, if you're a new listener, uh, then just listen to the next episode to find out what you missed. So the other reason though, why we're going down this uh, path is under the concept of, so our, our goal for this podcast is to talk, to look not so much at, um, the, the digital stuff itself, but to, you know, we've been at it for a while. So we ought to be able to start to hear from people and maybe tell some stories and look at at um, where, what kind of progress have people made? How did they make that progress? How did they get it? How did they get digital done? How are they getting it done? And maybe how are they, you know, in, in some cases, what didn't work? How are they not getting it done? And so we want to, and one of the things that comes up uh, is, um, Uh, is, is let's look at other industries and learn from them, which is something that we didn't used to like to do a whole lot in oil and gas, but Mm -hmm. we're learning to do that a lot better. So, Mm -hmm. um, so the, uh, so that perspective from other industries is good. What about George? So, um, let's start with the, with the fun part, uh, like where, like, have you seen any disasters? Have you seen any? <laughs> have you seen any anything where you can say you can look back and go, "Well, that definitely did not work."
2: Well, Michael, not only have I seen disasters, I've ca- been have you caused the, them? the agent of disaster <laughs> okay. in the number of times I guess that's what makes me such a good author. I've made so many mistakes that I can sort of write about that right. and, and coach sure. other people to not making those mistakes. But yeah, I I have seen a lot of. Efforts under this whole sort of digital transformation label go south, and um, and and you know everywhere from disaster to just simply not right
1: generating this the value happen, that, right. it was, that, that it was that it was intended, and
2: it's sure. it's really sad. I've seen a lot of successes. We're going to talk about that before we conclude here, but um, in the in the disaster category, I've had a chance to now reflect on uh, well a couple of decades of doing things wrong. And uh, I'd say there is a common thread among them, and that is these digital transformation efforts have made their goal digital transformation. Yeah. That's wrong. Um, the, The goal of a digital transformation effort should be to make money or right. to solve a problem that in turn makes money. Yeah, yeah, if yeah. you cannot anchor your digital transformation efforts to a specific business problem, you're compromised from the get-go. And yet I've seen so many where yep, yep. there's been this big fanfare and beautiful flyers printed up and lots of PowerPoints announcing our digital transformation effort. And when you ask, well, what, what is it that we're actually trying to do? The answer comes about, well, we're going to build a data lake or a data warehouse, we're going to get our data house in order, that sort of thing. And I, I just I just have to shake my head. Yeah. I mean, coming at it from a purely technology, purely sort of IT perspective is the wrong way. Is technology important? Absolutely. It's important as an enabler. So the real watchword here, and, it, and I'm so glad, Michael, that this show is called Digital Doers, because um, this is really to appeal to those of us out in the audience who are actually trying to make this stuff work. Sure, right, right. And and the, the piece of advice I would give to them is, don't do di- digital transformation, but rather go solve problems. And what you'll end up doing is you're gonna go solve a major business problem, yep. untangling a complicated supply chain or building a forecasting model or right. uh, generating a, a, a pricing algorithm like we were talking about before the show. <clears throat> go Go solve that problem using digital methods, and then solve another problem, and then another, and then another. And pretty soon, you're going to turn around and, and say, oh, you know what? We, we just digitally transformed the company. We didn't realize we were doing it. Yeah, we were right. actually solving problems right. along the way. We were making money right. for the company along the way. That's the proper way to do digital transformation.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's right. I mean, um, so it makes me think of a couple things. One is, I feel like this is not the first time in the history of, you know, a modern computing that we've tried to say, let's not just do technology for technology's sake. Um, I mean, I remember back in the IT boom, in the 90s we were supposedly learning that lesson, right? Um, but we kinda, it, it because there's 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 excitement and there's um, a hype cycle as Gartner refers mm-hmm. to it, right? And there's pressure, you know, people who are in positions of leadership within companies feel pressure, right? Because people above them are saying, hey, how come we're not doing one of those data lakes? We should be doing that, right? right. And, and, and so you, so we, it seems like we always step into that same, uh, a little bit of that same trap uh, every time the next wave comes along.
2: Yeah, and it's, it's one of those sort of half-true arguments, Michael, where, yeah, it is good to lay down infrastructure. That, that is not a bad thing. That is a good thing. That's what companies should be doing. But the infrastructure shouldn't be the goal. Right. The goal should be right. that you are going to use this apparatus to make money. There should be a, a, a solid economic case tied to everything that we do under the banner of digital transformation. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah We can build a beautiful superhighway, but if you know, if everybody's you know using boats to get around, it doesn't really you know you solved the wrong problem. Exactly. Right. In fact, uh, yesterday we we had a live stream going. Um, that an OGGN live another one of the brand new live streams and um, that I was hosting and we had a we had five people um, it was quite a circus in the panel and but uh, and it's about it's about AI and machine learning in oil mm-hmm. and gas and and which is another is which is right in the center of we need to use that stuff for digital transformation and. Um, and uh, we had uh, uh, my friend Kayla Ball was on the, was on the panels. In fact, uh, she's with a company called Valadeer, and they're right up there uh, down the hall. Right here, here in the, the cannon. beautiful cannon. And, um, and I've known her for a long time, and she said this thing that I know she always says, which is, uh, first, let's make sure we know what problem we're solving, mm-hmm. right? And... Um, And if you don't know what problem you're solving, it might be that either you're solving the wrong problem or you may not be solving a problem at all. Right. Mm -hmm. You might actually just be like you said, you're just doing you're just doing transformation. So um, having that uh, that business objective in mind is key. What you know, something else I always think about is um, the people who are carrying out these initiatives. What's the. um, okay, let's leave out where people are just doing something for excitement and it makes no sense. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. But where somebody, you know, do they, do they start by going, let's say, so in oil and gas, right? We go to the executive level, right? Maybe we go to the top level of, of exploration or, or, or whatever, you know, part of the business. And do we ask those, those executives, um, what is it that you need to happen? Right? Like, what, what what needle is it that you want to, that's really critical for you to move? What is it that you need to the, to see the business do in order to, to carry forward? And then let's kind of back into that with what the solution
2: is. Yeah, I think that's, Michael, that's a very careful conversation. Because if you were just walk into an executive's office and say, well, what do you want to, what would you like to do under the, the digital domain? Um, they're, they're probably... You know, right. the eyes will glaze over a little bit, and, uh, they'll stammer, and they'll give you some some half baked answer, um, and that's not any right. fault of theirs. They're not they're not trained to think in in a digital native those way. But
1: if you ask, but if you ask them, what do you want the to happen in the business? Like like tell me about your business, right. and what do you want to be different? That's right? what you need
2: to do is bring them back to first principles. If if you could wave your magic wand and do anything, what 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 would you like to be able to do? And, uh, you know, I'll I'll give you an example of this in my own personal career of a project that evolved just like this. It turned out to be very successful. It was not in oil and gas, but I think for our audience here, it might be instructive to to hear some examples outside of oil and gas. This was for an airline. And uh, the way airlines worked back in the day, now this is when I was just a young whippersnapper, like <laughs> you are.
1: So like dual prop kind of yeah, That's
2: right. <laughs> but not quite that far back. <laughs> this airline was very operationally focused. Now that's that's unusual for airlines. Most airlines are run kind of from the customer end of things. You know, what kind of passengers can we get at what prices? Right, right. I want a business traveler going to these cities, et cetera, et cetera. Um, very little attention is paid to operations in the in the strategy conversation.
1: Right, right.
2: So they said, can we make a competitive advantage out of the way we operate the airline? Which, believe it or not, that was kind of a radical idea 20 years ago.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think I know. I, I may even have an idea of which, which airline you're cause they, Very progressive cause airline. They were quite successful with this. Yes, right? yes, they, yes. They,
2: they were. They were. And uh, they, they decided they wanted to make uh, jet fuel a competitive advantage. Mm-hmm. You think, what, jet fuel, what, what's going on with that? Well, it turns out that jet fuel is the third biggest expense of right. every airline. And they buy jet fuel at various prices mm-hmm. uh, during the day, during the month. Some of them have longer-term contracts. But it's, a, it's not something that is managed like it's a corporate asset. So uh, a team went in and and took a look at this and said, you know, there's a way to ever so slightly alter the flight schedule, ever so slightly alter the refueling times and the refueling rules, if you will, uh, when and where you refuel your planes all the way to the uh, fill up the tankers versus just enough plus a safety margin to get to the next city. Um, So this team devised a scheme Mm-hmm. Uh, to do that, and it saved not only saved an extraordinary amount of money, but it took this this backwater process right. fueling the planes that yeah. never nobody no executive ever really thought about. Right, it's a commodity. Vaulted yeah. it to the top of the list in terms of their operating competitive advantage. So that to wow. me is that's transformation because that fundamentally altered the competitive position of this airline for years afterwards. Now, they've all caught up now, just like Moneyball, you know, all the teams are starting to do that now. Sure. But back in the day, that was a competitive advantage that had uh, durability (laughs) to it.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's not, and so 20 years ago, um, we didn't have the, um, you know, we weren't talking about digital um, technology. We didn't have the capabilities, although, although all computing technology has all been digital, but that's a conversation for another day. Um, so, so, but we didn't have the capabilities that we have today. Um, but nonetheless, that's the kind of problem that we ought to be solving. And, and today, with the capabilities that we have, um, you know, uh, we, we could solve those problems, we could take aim at those things much more quickly.
2: Absolutely. Right? I mean, there's kind of a class of problems that we can solve that we couldn't solve before, given the the limited amount of technology that we had, you know, right. go back a decade, two decades, three sure. decades. And and it it is in fact useful, Michael, to kind of think about these technologies. When a technology comes along, um I'm I'm very aware of the let's not do technology for technology's sake. Right. But at the same time, we need to ask the question, what can this particular technology do for us sure. that we couldn't do before? Yes. It's so, a lot and of And it's a subtle
1: difference, but that's very important. Absolutely. Right, yeah.
2: A lot of... Lot of discussion these days about blockchain and, and could blockchain be used in industrial applications. Speaking of
1: which, Andrew Bruce just walked by a few that's minutes right. ago. Our, yeah, friend from, Gumbo, uh, our friends at Data Gumbo <laughs>
2: are, are right here in the beautiful canon. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Andrew's firm is right. squarely in that space where they're looking to industrialize the blockchain. So here's a technology that's come along. It 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 came in the form of a Trojan horse. Uh, so it, it came uh, layered with Cryptocurrency, right. and, and even still today, people think it's all about Crypto. cryptocurrency. Right, yeah. It's not, um, and it took a while for people to kind of contemplate how that technology could be used in industrial applications. And so now we're seeing blockchain being infused uh, primarily in supply chains mm-hmm. uh, to to track and record supply and even enable. Uh, supply chain uh, transactions that you couldn't do before because it's got very unique capabilities. That is a legitimate question to ask here, Michael, which is what can blockchain do for us industrially? And can we go out and seek problems like that? Yeah. That is not forcing the technology where it shouldn't. That's actually doing the right thing and putting a round peg in a round hole.
1: Yeah, no, that is that is a really, um, it's a fascinating point because maybe part of, you know, getting digital done is maybe we can accelerate some of our objectives by um, by doing what you said. So it it makes me think of um, so we we go through this cycle, particularly in oil and gas, where these new things come along, and um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna sound like I'm saying the opposite of what I said before, which is we get all this hype, and mm-hmm. we and we sort of leap before we look, but um, but before that happens, there's oftentimes a long period where we sort of brush something off. And I remember seeing uh, blockchain uh, on the cover of some magazine, some you know, with CIO or something like that. And I was in somebody's uh, reception area, and um, uh, of a it was a it was an oil company, and and I'm in the reception area waiting to meet for somebody, and and this. Uh, and so this is, I want to say this is uh, six years ago, mm-hmm. something like that. Isn't mm-hmm. that probably when it, seven years ago? Yes. When the buzz happened, right? And um, and the person that I was meeting with, he comes out, and, um, and I, I was looking at this, and it had blockchain on the, and I was holding the magazine. And I said something like, well, this is interesting. And you know he just rolled his eyes and was and it was kind of like oh, whatever like you know that like that will never be important to us <laughs> and 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 we we do that we're like naturally skeptical until we're like naturally skeptical uh, until suddenly we become excited about it but if we were a little more um, if we took the initiative to to instead of going through that emotional cycle of I don't believe in it and and until suddenly I do believe in it um, if we if we took a more cerebral approach that said that said, okay, here's something new. Let's systematically have a look at this thing and figure out if it can solve any important problems that we're trying right. to solve.
2: you know you're you're hitting on an important point there, Michael. I think there's going to be a, a complete change in leadership in yeah. the oil and gas industry. The old well, there has version. to be because <laughs> well, everybody, everybody, yeah, everybody's it's, it's everybody's been around forever in some cases. But <laughs> but there's there's an old style of leadership who would commonly ask, "Well, how many times has this technology been used in the oil and gas industry?" Yes, and if the answer is question. zero, yeah, then yeah. uh, th- then they won't think about it. And and that's not a leader to me. A leader would say, "What are the attributes? What are the features of this new technology? And what kind of problems?" Can it solve? And and does that seem to square with the kind of problems that we're dealing with? That, to me, is is a leader's mentality. Yeah. Um, So there's going to be more of that. Going forward, people who have that kind of strain in them, willing to take a few chances, calculated risks, not sure. not crazy risks, calculated risks on certain technologies that advance the industry. I saw this happen myself in the automotive industry, which yeah. was very staid, very stoic, right. extremely conservative, and and new leadership has come into that industry and started doing that in the late 80s through the 90s, and now automotive is fundamentally transformed. I I heard a quote the other day uh, of a senior automotive executive basically saying that a car is not a car anymore. It's just a a piece of software with wheels. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's that's not the mark of an industry that has been stoic or conservative. I'd love to see more of that kind of thinking happen in oil and gas.
1: Well, and it did amazing things for quality, right? I mean, I remember... No doubt. When I was a young person, let's see, I got my driver's license in 1982, and, um, uh, which, was, which was great because, because gasoline in, in Houston, Texas was about 73 cents a gallon. <laughs> and, uh, and, um, but back then there was, this, there was this prevailing mentality that, well, you don't buy an American car right, um, that came out of kind of like the late 70s and into the early 80s. Well, don't buy an American car because it's going to be the shop all the time. Right? That's right. And, um, uh, and of course, that, that gave, uh, you know, car makers from other places a lot of traction, particularly Japan and then later the other areas. And, um, and it's funny how it's been many years since you've had to worry about that with American cars, right? They, 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 some of those things that you talk about, it fixed that problem and quality today is, 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 as good as quality anywhere else. Um, but that like mentality is still kind of hanging in the air sometimes. I'm always stunned when I'm talking to somebody and I can still see like, like residual elements of that in their way of thinking about cars. And, um, and so I, I don't really know what the, I'm going with this. I'm going to try to bring it back to digital doers. But but, um, adopting a different uh, mentality, you know, adopting a different mentality can really change your ability to accomplish things. And not adopting a different mentality for too long can really have long-lasting effects.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. The roots of the problems that they experienced in the 70s and 80s, American car industry, um, started, you know, decades before, unfortunately. Uh, But the crucible of global competition was really the impetus to yes. get them going. Yeah. We have a different impetus in oil and gas. It's the global commodity cycle that's, yes. that's that's hammering us, but we need to respond in the same way they did. We need to think a little bit different. We need to think a bit, little bit deeper. Right. We need to cast off our old thinking and really bring new thinking into the industry and new tools.
1: Right. We, right. we
2: can't be scared of technological tools Anymore, and we can't simply rely on human intelligence and experience. We need to strengthen human experience with technological tools. Right,
1: and um, yeah, and all right. So there's a couple things in there. One is one reason why we're, I I think, my perception why, as an industry, we were afraid of afraid is maybe not the right word especially here in Houston, but um, we're, we're apprehensive about embracing new things is because of something that's very real which oftentimes people outside the industry don't appreciate, which is there's a lot of complexity here. there's a lot of risk and if whatever this newfangled thing that you're talking about doesn't work, we could be it, it could have an eight digit impact in, mm-hmm. in a very short period of time, right mm-hmm. or even worse, People could get hurt, people could die, um, things blow up, so we know, so we have a very complex um, temperamental sort of thing here, not only in terms of the physical assets and, and and the engineering, but also in terms of the economics and the business model and everything, and we don't wanna just, Start, you know, you start turning dials and changing levers, and bad things can happen.
2: Absolutely, and
1: and that's a very real thing. So what's, so, and that's and I think that's really the heart of, of well, let's not. That's why we say, has anybody else used this yet in the industry, right? (laughs) And what happened? So how do we, how do we get past? How do we go from that? reality which is even more reality now with the economic complexities and things and how do we go how do we take that reality and add to it this ability that you're saying to embrace new ways of thinking and new tools
2: well i mean there's sort of a counterpoint to the story that you're telling uh, michael and that's george mitchell hmm. you know george mitchell believed in hydraulic fracturing he didn't invent it right but you know most people attribute him as right. being the father of hydraulic fracturing he stayed with it a long time yeah he sold his beloved the woodlands yeah. uh to effectively finance right. his foray into hydraulic fracturing after a lot of failures yeah. i should say so this industry is is interesting in that it has streaks of maverickness sure in it, that, yeah. that crop up from time to yep. time, that's the streak that I'd, I'd love to see. And yeah, sure, there's going to be a it's few a failures. Right, right. But, but he found a technology that he bet his company on and he succeeded wildly after a very long period right, yeah. where most investors would say, oh, you got no. to, th- this is just not going to work. Right. He stuck with it. He put his own personal fortune behind it yep. and he ultimately prevailed. I think there are other George Mitchells out there. They're just yeah. not well known, but they're out there fighting the good fight.
1: And you make a very good point, which is that's kind of how the whole thing got the whole industry got started in the first place. that is a little bit of the heritage that that maverick um approach um it's it's almost just like like the human um, you know growing up cycle of you're young and and you know you want to do something different. You know, you're happy to take risks because you don't even see them as risks because you don't, you know, because you got your you got your eye on the prize, right? And then and then as you get as you become more mature, uh, you know, you're a little bit more uh, structured and let's let's be careful what we do and like that's a natural part of like the human experience i think and so it's i guess it's not a wonder that an industry like oil and gas that has essentially come about in the last 120 years right has kind of gone through that same right that same kind of cycle so this is good i um i have no idea what we're going to talk about next but i do know that um so i do know that you are uh that you are a big fan of models um not not the kind of the magazines, but like the math, no, the math- of <laughs> <too>. mathematical <laughs> models, <laughs> what, um, <laughs> let's, what maybe what's an example. And you mentioned, we need to use new tools. That example that you gave in the beginning about, uh, what are the various possible outcomes and what do we want to invest in? Um, you know, we deal with that all the time. Uh, how, how about an example of how, you know, and when you, when you talk about using models and simulation, it's something that's very easy to do in terms of like it doesn't require you to roll out a bunch of infrastructure and it doesn't require you to, to to plug in a lot of people. I mean, it's a simple step that you could take in the beginning. What kind of impact can that have in terms of getting these digital things done the right way?
2: Right. Well, I, I tell you, a project that I worked on years ago, uh, which was fascinating in the oil and gas industry, was really around asset sharing. Uh, so, shared assets like marine vessels or helicopters. Right, right. And so we were commissioned to study whether we could do asset sharing, which I, I should point out, Michael, at the time, and this was 15 years ago, was very controversial because, you know, take a helicopter. Uh, typically a, an oil company, major oil company, will contract a helicopter. It's kind of like renting a car. Sure. And you can drive that car around town as long as you want. It's fine. That's that's yours. And so you contract that helicopter; it carries only your personnel right. from shore base to rig and then back right. again, or shore based platform and back again. And and that's how the the industry worked. Well, what if you're in kind of a remote place? What if you happen to be flying right by, you know, other uh, platforms and assets? Um, gee, wouldn't it make sense to operate operate it more like a like a bus where you're you're picking up people from one company or three companies, and you're making several stops and coming back, that would save a lot of money, would it not? Sure. Yes. But as you dig a little deeper into it, the insurance covenants of these companies are very Uh, different. One is allowed to fly at night. One requires two pilots instead of one. All these different idiosyncrasies. There's another. There was another school of thought that said, ah, this will never work because all these crazy rules that the different companies have, they're all different, different, different. It'll never work.
1: Yeah, sure.
2: So what we were asked to do was to create two worlds, a future world which is just like the status quo. I need to move X number of people to X number of platforms over a 30-day period. And then a second world where um, I could – in fact, share assets, share helicopter assets, and I could put two or three people from this company, that company, or another on a different helicopter and then make multiple stops. And then we contrasted the two the two worlds. We had the same scorecard for both. Mm-hmm. And it showed that even with all those weird idiosyncrasies, that the savings was extraordinary. It was in the millions a year per year of operating cost. So that then gave rise to uh, creating an asset sharing system that a piece of technology right. that was essentially a dispatching function sure. that consolidated these loads and figured out a schedule optimized that schedule and allowed companies <coughs> to save a tremendous amount of money it's important in the Gulf of Mexico it's even more important in places like right. West Africa where right. these kind of assets are very very expensive and they're they're not plentiful so right. that's an example of uh, the idea of using a model to enable a business capability and then, and then sort of like a vulture taking that, the, the technology and the rules embedded in that model and putting that onto an everyday system yeah. that operates every single day.
1: Yeah, no, that's good. I, you know, so I'm thinking about that today and um, one of the things that's different about today because you know because after you solved that problem mathematically, you had to solve it like in real life, right which involved some technology that had, to be, that had to be designed and built and deployed. Well, one thing that's different about today, from even just a few years ago, is the effort and time that goes into designing and building and deploying a piece of technology is much smaller than it was even just just you know five or, or ten years ago um, I remember uh, again back to my my consulting days and you're out there you know uh, we did a lot of you know what we used to call custom custom app dev projects right which which nobody wanted to do but everybody had to do because after you shopped all the other pieces of software the commercial pieces of software they just didn't do what you wanted them to do right. which is code for we can't make this software wrap around the business processes that we don't want to change right but another that's another conversation so um, so that began the long arduous process of scoping and requirements and design and building and um, um, and testing and deploying and support and all of that was you know uh, depending on the size of the thing that you were creating it could be and it, it could be months or even years in some cases. So, um, so the idea of let's make a new piece of technology was. Very painful in some cases. Mm-hmm. Um, today, with the with the capabilities that we have, it's not just about faster computing capabilities or m- ability to handle more data, but we can actually put solutions together using sort of these building blocks that are out there, like really quickly, right? That's and can,
2: absolutely right. I mean, Moore's law has has sort of worked in our favor on the on the right. software side as well. So where it like you say I mean I remember projects like that that took months years and right. t- huge teams of right. people now much less so we're also you taking advantage of open source software Right and libraries that I can't even remember the last time I actually paid money uh, you know, for a piece of software that we use in, in some of our models. Right. Um, the frameworks have gotten better. The <laughs> platforms have gotten better. The cloud-based platforms. Everything is better, better, better. Our,
1: and even our process, I mean, you know, we, we, we now know how to do agile right. Th- the right way. In most places, and we have new, and we have, and we have open talent models. So let's throw that little plug in there for our for our sponsor. Absolutely. So the wherewithal to produce this stuff is just you know. So you don't have to. So I guess where I'm going with this is if we take your approach and say, all right, let's find a problem that needs to be solved that has a lot of business value, and then let's kind of work out what's required to do that. um, We can. Once we understand that, we can put something together pretty quick
2: well right? and, the, and the price point as you as it's you had yeah. pointed out is has come way down which means smaller teams or smaller companies yes are, are within reach of this technology where they weren't before it was the exclusive purview of very very large companies that's just not the case anymore.
1: yeah and we have the concept of like like um, uh, you know iteration you know being able to deliver value the other thing about the, the old olden times, was, like, whatever that project was, it delivered zero value until it was all done. (laughs) Right, Right. either or. Right, right, when it was all done, you found out if it was going to deliver any value or not. But now we can get things, you know, we have the concept of of the minimum viable product, and we have other- lockups and and testing, proof of concepts, And we can get these things out there. We can do all
2: these things that reveal uh, their value proposition, far earlier right. in the cycle than at the very end and
1: sometimes it even begins to deliver a little bit of value you know so so you bring the ROI the time to value much much closer because mm-hmm. you don't have to wait for it all to come at the end it's but you can realize true. that as you go mm-hmm. right so yeah. it's good yeah this is a it's an excellent framework for um, thinking about um, how you and it's funny because we always want to whenever we think about planning out how we're going to do things or getting things done we always want to Make these roadmaps and plans, and you know, strata phases, and all of this. And I mean, I remember when companies in you know, oil and gas started taking digital transformation seriously. You know, it's been a few years now. Um, every conference room had a, a digital transformation roadmap up on the screen, right, <laughs> with all, all these parts and pieces, and they're all connected. And here's how we're gonna. And um, and and you know, I we see where that ends up now we don't even have a we don't we're not even in the conference rooms to put them on the screen anymore so that killed that approach I'm,
2: I'm i'm glad you brought that that point up michael and i say this to a lot of the audiences that i speak to about digital transformation which is almost every digital transformation effort in a company is the first time that's ever been done
1: yes right
2: it's, it's never been done before right if, if I'm building houses and I've built 500 houses before, sure, yeah, the next house is going to have very deliberate steps and I'm no, going to know exactly you how to do it. You have a blueprint and you take, know
1: exactly how to do it. But
2: yeah. with digital transformation, almost every time, this is the first time this has ever been right. attempted inside the company. So, how can you put together this solid, concrete sort of plan, project plan, this very linear plan, by the way, which doesn't allow any learning to take place or any. Uh, deviations to the to the schedule to take place. That just seems to me is completely mismatched. Yeah. And that is also one of the other uh, sort of elements of failure is when we try to subject digital transformation to the same old project management techniques that pretend that we've done this a hundred times and this is the hundred first time. No, this is the first time and we need to take learning into account. So I'm I'm a big fan of agile, uh, to, to an extent where you're doing, you know, small bits at a time you're using that learning and driving that learning into the next phase.
1: Yes, for sure. Yeah. That's a good, um, and that is that might be a good place to wrap up to, uh, um, uh, because I'm looking at time here and I think we're getting to that, that magic moment, but, but to, to end on that, uh, that's a great notion is that, um, so we have to remember with, uh, so when we're doing a digital transformation, we're not just building a house. We're we're building a Frank Lloyd Wright house, right? Where it's it's it, there's a lot of things that need to be figured out and sorted through, and we just can't imagine that we're going to have a very exact set of steps, which is difficult sometimes for an industry that was built on engineering,
2: right? right? So, right. so which is used to a very sort of rigid project schedules right. and and. And project componentry, that uh, to a certain extent that applies. I'm not suggesting it should be just freeform, freestyle, whatever you want to do the, the given <laughs> right, day, sure, sure. but but it's it's much uh, more uh, underscored by learning and we really need to take that to take that
1: by like yeah and i mean even all that nice structured reliable engineering that we know today at some point in time that was done for the first time and it wasn't done as as neatly and cleanly as it was today so that's a good um so so taking that learning and and rolling it into what we're doing i think i think we're starting to see that happen and and so hopefully some people will listen to this and get some good ideas about how they can go forward Really appreciate you uh, coming out here again to the Canon, and um, and we've actually I, I have to thank George uh, in particular because you've been you've been very kind to us. You've been on in the last couple of weeks. You've been on two podcasts and a live stream event, right? <laughs> so if you want to hear George talk some more about some of this stuff. Uh, Go look at the uh, what it was. The, it was a live stream event that we did on the search for ROI. Right? That's right. Yeah, which was a good, which turned out Dear um, and
2: dear to my heart. Which, ROI,
1: which turned out much better than I expected because I have to confess that it was it was like eleven o'clock the night before where I was trying to figure out what are we gonna what are we gonna do, <laughs> <laughs> and, and and you guys of course because you know big brains and, and we and it was a great event. So so um, so if you're and also if you want to know more about George, uh, there's a website called george of all
2: things. There's georgedanner.com. There's my company, valadorpartners.com. So yeah, uh, check it out if you want to. There's materials on there to just learn about this whole idea of digital transformation and the technologies that are associated with it.
1: And let's not forget about Business Laboratory. Yes. Which we, I think last time, you we were here, we settled it. It's not business laboratory. It's business <laughs> laboratory. Not, not like a
2: business <laughs> restroom or anything like that.
1: <laughs> business laboratory. Okay, that's good. Thank you again. Thank and you, Michael.
2: Uh, it was a great being on. I, I appreciate being invited well, back well, again.
1: Well, you're part of the inaugural of this new uh, <laughs> this new show. I have a few more things that I need to say, uh, which hopefully I can remember since I don't have my notes. But for sure we want to thank Top Coder again. And, uh, and, and in fact, uh, one of these first episodes... Is um, uh, one of these first five is with Clinton Bonner from Topcoder, and uh, who is is a great great guy to listen to. He's an experienced podcaster. He also has a podcast um, uh, for the Seattle Seahawks of all things. I think um, so. He's uh, so Clinton and I had a great conversation. You need to check that one out if you want to understand a little bit more about what the vision was behind this show and what Topcoder does and how they're contributing to these things. Um, so thanks to them. Also, I want to mention uh, the OGGN Street team is in action under new under new management under new new leadership. It's now being led by uh, Mr. Brian Mon, and uh, I think I've been referring to him as the uh, ever sleepless and hungry Brian Mon. And if you want to know why I call him that, just take a look at his LinkedIn profile, and you'll know why. Um, uh, the valiant and noble Warren Spiewak is now doing some other things. We haven't kicked him out of the family, and uh, but he has transferred that over. And I know Brian has some great ideas for what to do with the street team, so take a look at that LinkedIn group. It's a great way to get involved, do something good um, for the industry and for yourself and 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 hopefully for us. Uh, let's see, what else am I supposed to say? Um uh, I think I think that's it we definitely connect with ogGn on our website you can get on the mailing list you can find out I know you want to be on one more mailing list might as might as well be this one but you can find out about all these great events we got coming out and um, and we're getting back into the live event business again uh, here in Houston Texas so um, we had one uh, a few weeks ago here and now which was also live stream so we're doing some interesting things where we got a lot of moving pieces but um, but we're kind of hitting you on on all channels so there's a lot going on there check that out um final notes uh thanks as always to our audio guy uh our our audio magician uh mr emin ficic who is in the magical land of bosnia he does all of the audio for this stuff he makes it sound great um he takes out all the parts that aren't supposed to be there and so thanks to emin and now here we have savannah who is going to tell you about our events on deck
0: Hey everybody, it's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for April 2021. This month we have three events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. First up, we have our in-person event, which is the Spring Pitch Party, focused on clean tech. It'll be hosted at the Canon on April 6th. Next, we have our two online events, the University of Houston PES Career Fair on April 8th and the CSPG GeoWomen eTalk on April 20th. Other than these events, OGGN may be hosting some more live streams this month, so make sure to check out our Facebook, LinkedIn, or OGGN.com for more information about any of the live streams or events we have coming up. If you have any questions about these events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for April. I hope you guys have a great month, and thanks for tuning in. Come back next week for yet another exhilarating expedition into the very real world of the best digital doers in the oil and gas industry. A production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.